0: Just what is Easter? We've attached a lot of extra things to it. But Easter is one thing and one thing only. Easter is the observance and the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If the resurrection did not happen, then you and I are in deep trouble. We read this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. And that chapter of the Bible makes clear that our faith either stands or falls with the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, if he is still dead, or if someone took his body and tricked us all, then you and I are still in our sins. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, we have no hope of being forgiven. We have no hope of being reconciled to God. We have no hope of going to heaven when we die. You see, the resurrection is just that important. That's why this day matters. It matters a lot. In fact, it's a matter of life and death. It matters so much that your faith stands or falls with it. You see, the Christian faith is a personal faith. And you can't have a personal faith unless you have a living Savior. You see, that's what being a Christian is, is having a living relationship with the living Christ. You can't have a relationship with a dead Jesus. And a dead Jesus can't be the Savior anyway. You see, the resurrection proves that what Jesus said and what Jesus did was true. The resurrection proves that Jesus wasn't just another martyr who died for what he preached and what he believed, but that he died to make full atonement for your sin and for mine. As I said, this, this chapter from Matthew 28 recounts the details. Each of the gospel writers gives an account of the resurrection, and they all vary in just a little bit in giving different details of what happened on that great day. But as you read it, isn't it a story that's full of wonder and awe? You know, it's true, should be true when you read any part of the Bible, but especially when you read this part, you get the sense that you're really treading on holy ground. As you read this account of the the reality of the resurrection of Jesus From the grave. So, on this Easter Sunday, I want us to think again about what happened. And we were going to look at Matthew's account to see. And I think it's good sometimes to remind ourselves of the historical account of the resurrection. It's not a myth, it's not a fable, it's not a story concocted by Jesus' followers. No, it's an historical fact that we're dealing with this morning. An actual account, folks, of something that really happened. Several things I want to bring before you from this text. It's a familiar story, a familiar account. I'm sure there'll be reminders for most of you. Several things. First, as we open the text, we see the appearance of an angel. You know the setting. Jesus had been crucified, the cross on which he had died was still standing stained with his blood. It stood there as a testimony to all the hate and all the anger and all the animosity that had been vented toward him. His enemies had watched him die with a devilish satisfaction. They had seen his naked, tortured body take his last gasp of breath. The imposter, the fraud, the blasphemer, they said, has received what he deserved. It was good riddance for many of the Jews. Yes, the religious leaders of the Jews and many of the Romans. It was a sad day. It was late in the day when a man named Joseph, he was from Arimathea, he was a Jew He was a part of the council. He'd become a disciple of Jesus. But he did so in secret, the Bible tells us, for fear of repercussions. But no longer was his faith in Jesus going to be secret. He took the bold step of going to the Roman authorities and asking for permission to take Jesus' body and bury it. Now, what he had to do had to be done quickly. It was late in the day, and the Sabbath was about to begin at sunset. If you look back into Matthew chapter 27, the previous chapter, beginning with verse 57, it gives that account. It says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. Since there wasn't enough time, due to the Sabbath, to give Jesus' body a proper burial, he just did what he could. He wrapped Jesus' body in this linen sheet laid it in this tomb, and he rolled this large stone in front of it. Now, there was some concern among the Jewish authorities. You know, the Jewish authorities weren't ignorant. You know, they had people listening to Jesus all the way through his earthly ministry. They were watching him, and they were listening to him, and most of the times they were trying to find something they could use to Arrested to bring him to the point he was at, at on this day. And they had heard Jesus say that he would be raised up on the third day. It's very interesting that these Jewish religious leaders on the Sabbath day, on the Saturday, the day after Jesus was crucified, they went to Pilate and had a meeting. And that's unheard of for the Jews. They went to Pilate on the Sabbath day and they said to him, we are concerned. Now our concern is this man said that he would be raised up on the third day. What are we going to do if his followers do something with his body and say that he was raised again? We need to put a guard there. If you look back again in chapter 27 to verse 66, verse uh, 62 to 64, now on the next day the day after the preparation the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said sir we have remembered we remember and when he was still alive that deceiver said after 3 days i'm to rise again therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people he is risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first Pilate agreed. He said, the guard said, you make it as secure as you want to make it. And so they went and they put a seal on the stone along with the guard. Well, on the third day, as you know, which is Sunday, some of the women who had followed Jesus went to the tomb early in the morning, or as the text says in verse 1 of our chapter, as it began to dawn. They went there to do further preparations to the body of Jesus. See, they had followed Joseph. They had watched where he put the grave or the body. They saw him roll the stone over the opening to the tomb. And so they went. The text says in verse 1 is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Other gospel writers make it clear there were other women along with them. But they came there to help make Jesus' body better prepared for burial. And as the women made their way to the tomb, of course, they were wondering, how are we going to move that stone away from the grave? How are we going to get to the body of Jesus? They had the spices, they had the oils, had what they needed. But they weren't sure how they were going to get to the body of Jesus. Well, when they arrived, they realized nothing was like the way they had seen it when Joseph had left the body there. The stone had already been rolled away. If you look at um, our text, it says in verse 2, Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and and came and rolled the stone away and sat upon it. There was an angel there. Now the angel clearly looked like an angel. And we're told in verse 3 that his appearance was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. In fact, the, the, the sight of the angel was so overwhelming that it excels us in verse 4. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. We're told the angel rolled the stone away from the door. Why did the angel do that? Was it so that Jesus could get out? Of course not. It was so the women could see him and see that Jesus indeed had risen from the dead. Now again, verse 2 tells us that a severe earthquake occurred. It's interesting. The Bible says an earthquake occurred on Friday when Jesus was crucified. Earthquake also occurred at the occasion of the resurrection. Now this was not just another earthquake. This wasn't just because there was shifting in the, in the dirt or the soil and causing the the earth to quake. This was a quake caused by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. We don't understand what it was for the Son of God to come back to life again. But He rose with power, the Bible tells us. He rose in victory. And as he did, there was such a cataclysmic event taking place that the earth shook and the angel descended from heaven and he rolled the stone away and the guards fainted because of it. Then the angel sat on the stone and waited for the women to come. So there's an angel at the tomb. Don't miss the significance of that. This past Christmas, we looked at the fact that the presence of angels was very prevalent in and around the life of Jesus, especially at his birth. Remember? Angel appeared to Mary to tell her that she would be the mother of the Son of God. An angel appeared to Joseph to tell him the role Mary would play in the birth of God's Son. An angel appeared to the shepherds. To announce the reality of the birth to them. And now, here we are at the end of Jesus' life. And an angel is sitting at the empty tomb. You see, Jesus' life began with a miracle. The virgin birth. And an angel announced it. And his life ended with a miracle. The resurrection. And there again is an angel to announce the reality of it from beginning to end Jesus life surrounded by the presence of angels yes the resurrection was a great miracle it was a miracle accomplished by the power of God but I want you to see on this Easter Sunday it is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that accomplishes your salvation salvation and mine. Paul says in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it's very interesting to me, the Bible describes us, before we come to Christ, before we come to faith, describes us as being dead in our transgressions and sin. And it is the same power that caused Jesus to rise from the dead It causes us to come to new life. The power of God caused the Son of God to come back to life and it is that power of God that causes you and me to come and experience new life as well. It is God's power that removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. It's God's power that comes and gives us new life in Jesus Christ. Don't miss the importance of the angel at the tomb. Second, we see an empty tomb. That's what the ladies found. When the women arrived again, the, the angel was sitting there on the stone, and the first thing the angel said was, Do not be afraid. And if you've studied the Bible at all, if you've heard many sermons, you understand that's the first response angels gave when they came. To appear to any individual, the first words were, do not be afraid. Why? Because the appearance of an angel was fearful. These are heavenly beings. As, as the text says, again, this angel's appearance was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. It caused the guards to faint away like they were dead. And so when the angel come, or the women come, they see that and... The angel says, "Look, don't be afraid. After all, he wasn't there to bring fear. He was there to bring joy. He was bringing the greatest news ever given." And the angel went on to tell them in verse five, "I know you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified." And then we went on to give them the good news in verse six: "He is not here, for he has risen." And once again, it's an interesting note to me anyway. At the time of Jesus' birth, an angel announced that Jesus was here. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. An angel announced that Jesus was here. And now at the resurrection, an angel appears to say that Jesus Was no longer here. He is not here for he is risen. And he said he is risen just as he said. Again, remember, Jesus had said, told his disciples on numerous occasions, we're going to Jerusalem, going to suffer at the hands of evil men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. But it was such incredible news. Such an incredible thought. They just couldn't get their minds around it. But here the angel reminds the women, look, he has risen. And he's risen just as he said that he would. Now, the angel knew the women needed more convincing proof than just these words. And so, he said, why don't you go look? Look at the tomb. You know, the old saying goes, seeing is believing. And that's what happened to these women. They saw... And they believed. They looked and the body of Jesus was no longer there. The grave clothes were in place just as they had been wrapped around his body. And yet Jesus was not there. These women looked, they saw, and they believed. Then the third thing we see in this text is an urgent message. The angel told the women to go tell Jesus' disciples that he had risen. That's what we see in verse 7. He said, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And there was a sense of urgency in what the angels said. Go and go quickly. They were to hurry and tell the disciples this great news. And it's only natural that the disciples be the first one to be told Of the reality of the resurrection. After all, they were the ones who had committed their lives to Jesus. They're the ones who had followed Jesus essentially for three years. They were the ones into whom Jesus had poured the most of his life. It's true. It's true. Toward the end, at his arrest, around his crucifixion, they fled, they ran. They hid. They abandoned him. Peter even denied that he knew him three times in public. But Jesus, or the angels, first words to the women were, You go and tell my disciples that I'm alive. And so the women did exactly what they told them the angel told them to do. Verse 7 says, the angel said to them, go quickly. And if you look at verse 8, it says, they left the tomb quickly. They did exactly what the angel said. Mark says, they fled the tomb. John says, they ran. They hurried to go do what the angel had said. The angel also given them even more reassurance. Really, it was a startling reassurance. If you look back in verse 7 he says and behold he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you'll see him the angel told the women you will see Jesus yourselves and so they ran and look at verse 8 says they ran with fear and great joy what a combination of of emotions and normally we think of those two emotions as antithetical don't we Normally when we're afraid, we don't have much joy. And normally for we're in time of joy, we're not in time of fear. But these women are filled with this, this contradiction of emotions, fear and great joy. And the fear, of course, was more awe and wonder at what had happened. Man, it's clear, look, this was new news to them. They didn't understand it all. But they were joyful about it. They were beginning to put the pieces of the puzzle together. As they ran to tell the disciples, they were filled with this fear, this awe, this wonder, and a sense of great joy. But just think about what they had just seen and heard. They would seen that the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was missing. They would heard the angels say, He is not here. He is risen, just as He said. And so they were filled with this holy fear and filled with this great joy knowing that Jesus was alive. You know, we're given the same message that the angel gave to these women. The angel said, Go quickly and tell my disciples. You know what some of the last words Jesus gave before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection go tell you go you go you tell the world that I'm alive you go and you make disciples of all the nation isn't it interesting that the message of the angel is the same message of Jesus the angel telling the women Jesus telling his church and we bear that responsibility to tell the good news of the risen Savior. And then fourth and finally, we find here a reassuring meeting. Uh, the, the women were obedient to what the angel said. They went quickly. They went with fear and great joy. It is they were told to do, and suddenly, you find in the text they saw Jesus. The angel had said in verse uh, seven you will see him we find in verse nine Jesus met them Boy, those are those some precious words Jesus met them met them right where they were and their initial reaction was to bow down before him and take hold of his feet and worship him now this is the first encounter Matthew records of anyone seeing the risen Christ and I want you to notice that their first reaction was one of abject humility, of prostration, of getting on the ground, of grabbing hold of Jesus' feet and worshiping him. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Now, obviously, he showed a greater effect of his divine nature post resurrection than he did pre-resurrection. They saw something of his glory, of his power. And their reaction to him shows it. However, Jesus did the same thing that the angel had done. He told them not to be afraid. They weren't to be paralyzed by fear. But they were to go and take the good news of the gospel to his disciples. It's interesting to me. Lots of interesting things in this story. It's interesting to me that Jesus told the women the same thing the angel had. The angel said, Go and tell his disciples. And Jesus says in verse 10, Go and take word to my brethren. They were to give the good news to the disciples. But the best news they were to give them it was the same thing the angel had told them. Tell my disciples, I'm going to Galilee, and there they will see me. You know, the natural response of anyone who comes face to face with this risen Christ is one of worship. That's why our primary responsibility as the people of God is to worship Him and to go tell others the good news so they can worship Him too. Because that is the ultimate goal of every believer, isn't it? One day, what will our lives be about if it's not to be about the worship of the risen Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And here the women show us just a taste of it. Where they fall before the risen Christ, take hold of his feet and worship him. You know what we read this morning and looked at is is the most wonderful message ever proclaimed. It's the most powerful news that's ever been given. The reality of the risen Christ. The good news that Jesus lives makes a difference to those who embrace its truth. Let me say that again. The reality of the risen Christ makes a difference in the lives of those who embrace its truth. So my question to you this morning is, have you really heard the good news? Have you really heard it? I'm not talking about hearing it with your ears in a Sun Tzu class or in a sermon I'm talking about hearing it with your hearts. Have you heard the real impact of what it means that Jesus lives? That he died for your sin to pay the full price for it. Then he rose in victory from the grave to give you new life. Have you heard the good news? Is it true in your life? Does it make a difference? There are two ways you can tell. Jesus gives us victory. In two ways. It gives us victory over sin. The risen Christ didn't just pay the penalty for your sin, he gives you, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power and the ability to deal with your sin every day, and to resist the devil, and to resist temptation. The Bible says that's one of the clearest ways you can tell. If you understand, if you've heard the good news of the resurrection, if you're dealing with the reality of the sin in your life. Jesus gives us victory over sin. Not that we ever become perfect. We never completely win that battle. It'll always be a struggle till the day we die. And that's one reason we look forward in some ways to death, isn't it? To be set free from the restraints and restrictions of this sinful body in which we live, but the risen Christ gives us the power to deal with our temptations, to resist it, and have victory over it. But He also gives us victory over death. Might as well say it: death is one of most our most fearful experiences, isn't it? Hmm? Doesn't it give you just a little pause as you think about that? What that involves? Even if you're sure to go in heaven, doesn't it just kind of give you a little bit of pause to think, what in the world is that going to be like? What is it going to be like not to be here? Not to be around my friends, my family? not to be around the things I see and I know, the things that make me comfortable. What is death going to be like? Folks, it's the resurrection that gives us peace in the face of the reality of death. It's going to happen. You're going to die. I'm going to die. And the only way to prepare for death is to understand the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. know that because he lives, you live too. Because he is at the right hand of the Father, you can go there yourself. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no one comes to the Father but through me. The reality of the risen Christ does make a difference in your life. It gives you victory over sin and over death. It gives you confidence for today and assurance for tomorrow. And aren't we thankful for that? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, on this blessed Easter Sunday, we give you thanks and praise. For the victory gained by your crucified and risen Son, who now even is ascended to your right hand, whoever makes intercession for us, may we experience that victory in our lives over sin and death, even today. And and for that, we'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.